0: Dear congregation, let's turn in God's holy word to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll read the entire chapter. Our text will be verse 14. It's a well-known passage, well-known text. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's hear that in 2 Corinthians 13. And we'll read the entire chapter. This will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time and now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you, for though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God, for we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? unless indeed you are disqualified. Yet I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray, that you may be made complete. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. The God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. We also would like to... Read Lord's Day 8 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 8, and question and answer 24 and 25. And we like to tie that in also with this beautiful benediction that Paul sets forth to us in Second Corinthians 13, verse 14, in the Trinitarian nature of it. We recognize that in Lord's Day 7, that our faith as to the content of our faith are found to summarized in the Apostles Creed, our undoubted Catholic Christian faith. And this is divided into three sections. And the first question and answer gets to that in question 24, How are these articles divided? And the answer is into three parts. The first is of God the Father and our creation. The second of God the Son and our redemption. The third of God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Question 25. Since there is but one only divine essence, why do you speak of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Answer. Because God has so revealed himself in his word that these three distinct persons are the one only true and eternal God. As far as our confession from Lord's Day 8, regarding the triune God. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we look at our Heidelberg Catechism, when we saw last time from Lord's Day 7, we recognize that faith contains two things. First of all, a certain knowledge. And secondly, an assured confidence. And so there must be a knowledge in the fact that there is a God, but also a knowledge of who our God is and how he reveals himself to us in his word. And of course, we must then submit to that knowledge that we receive from the word of God as to who God is. But it also gives us an assured confidence when we understand who our God is as the one God, who is three in persons, the triune God, that he is indeed God, my Father, and he has sent his Son as my Redeemer, and dwells in me by his Holy Spirit, who is my sanctification, sanctifier. And really, the benedictions and the baptisms, as we'll see in the New Testament, all include, many include, the triune God, and it gives us a certain assured confidence of who God is. We recognize this as Paul comes to the end of his epistle in Second Corinthians chapter 13, and he's commending them uh, unto the Lord and throughout this chapter, and then as he gives a farewell, he calls them to be of good comfort, to be of one mind, to live at peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. He's encouraging them in the triune God, especially as he leaves them with this benediction and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This past week I've, I was sent from a kind of a ministerial group that I'm a part of. It's, well, it's through our federations, the churches, the FRC and HRC and one of the ministers sent out a a, a quote and sometimes we do that from time to time and if we find a quote that's really encouraging and he sent a quote based on the benedictions especially in the New Testament from Ralph Davies and he said Jacob wrestled with God all night saying as he clung to God I will not let you go unless you bless me. But when God comes to us at the end of an epistle or at the end of a service, he says, he says to his people, I will not let you go until I bless you. And he does so as the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the biblical truth of the Trinity, even though we can't fully comprehend it in our own minds, we can know it by faith and we can be encouraged by it. By faith. And so it's a challenge of faith, isn't it? For our children, we can identify with this in some degree from this illustration. There was a little girl who was planting corn with her dad in the garden, and they made several rows of sweet corn. And as they finished the last row, we were covering up the last kernels of seed that were planted. She finished, and he asked his daughter, Do you believe that these corn kernels will actually grow into corn plants? And she said, of course. Of course, Dad. Well, he says to me, explain to me how these little kernels that you buried in the ground are going to become full-grown corn plants. And she says to her, Dad, well, I don't know. I can't explain it. Her dad says, that's ridiculous. You should be able to explain it if you can see it. I can't explain it, she says. But I know I'm right. It happened last year and you just wait and see. Those corn plants will be here. Her father then laughed at her and says, You're right. But when something even far greater, far surpassing of natural occurrences before us, Something we can't actually even see or someone we can't even see. Namely, God who is Spirit. To explain who He is as a triune God requires faith. We believe, we have faith in who God is, even if we cannot fully understand who He is. And that's what we come to in the Trinity. As Thomas Watson wrote, the Trinity is a purely an object of faith. It's really the plumb line of our reason is too short to fathom this mystery of the triune God. But he says, where reason cannot wade, faith can swim. There are some truths in religion that, yes, they can be demonstrated by reason, such as maybe even the reality, the existence of God to some degree. But the trinity of persons, the unity of essence in the is, is really holy, supernatural, he says. It must believe, be believed by faith. And it must be confessed by faith. And so I'd like to look at this confessing the triune God by faith. And we're going to see that we need to do so in two ways. First of all, with a certain scriptural knowledge of our Triune God, and secondly, with an assured confidence in our Triune God. Confessing the Triune God by faith with a certain scriptural knowledge of our Triune God. Well, if we have to look in Scripture for the word Trinity, we might be looking for a long time, from Genesis to Revelation. And you won't find it. The word Trinity is a word that we use as theologians and as we understand the Scriptures to mean tri-unity. In other words, three in unity. And just because the word Trinity is not found in the Scriptures does not mean it's not a truth that is contained in the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, if we open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, the very first words we read are in, is, In the beginning, God. It doesn't say, in the beginning, there was a lots of gods, plural, fighting against each other, vying for power and influence. No, in the beginning, God. Simple, singular, God. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, we find these words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It's not many gods. It's one Lord. And yet, we also find that even Genesis 1 already, he's showing himself that he is three in person, or that he is at least multiple persons in this one essence. And we confess that the doctrine of the Trinity is not necessarily something we just formulated or made up and formulated into this phrase of the one essence in three persons, but rather it is the very truth of Scripture. Ready in Genesis 1, verse 26, it shows us that God is also plural. Notice verse 26, "...and God said, let us make man in our image." Well, those are plural pronouns. Let us make man in our image. And yet, at the same breath, he's saying, and God created him in his own image. He doesn't say he created him in multiple images because God is multiple images or multiple likenesses, but singular in likeness, singular in image. And God says that he created he, Him. Singular. And so God is introducing Himself as one and yet plural us at the same time. And if we look into the New Testament where it clearly reveals the Trinity in, 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 very, in the very passage that we read together, and especially in the benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God pertaining to the love of the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Very clearly highlighting the Trinity. But you could even go back farther. You could go back to Luke chapter 1, even before the Lord Jesus Christ was conceived when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, as the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Namely, the Holy Spirit and the power of the highest, the first person of the Trinity, the Father, will overshadow you. And therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born is to be called the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Or uh, when Jesus was baptized, when he was inaugurated into his ministry, there in Matthew chapter 3, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. All three persons of the Trinity are represented here. The Son coming up out of the water. The Holy Spirit represented by the dove descending upon him. And the Father as he was represented by the voice that came from heaven. And as Jesus ends his earthly ministry before he's ascending into heaven, he calls upon his disciples to go to the world and teach the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit who Jesus has promised will be given unto them to be the helper in John 14. The Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said unto you. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a scriptural testimony. And we know from Scripture that this is not simply the words of men, but this is God's breathed word, Second Peter 1. We have a more confirmed word, a prophetic word that's confirmed. A light that shines in a dark place as the day dawns. Where else would we go to know God, to understand who He is? We go to His Word, the revelation of who He is. And by faith we believe it, even when we can't comprehend who our God is. And so it's God's own testimony. Notice in our catechism in Lord's Day 7 already, under true saving faith, uh, that assured confidence even that certain knowledge is worked by the gospel into our heart and that's what god is doing much like he he did with peter matthew 16 when jesus came into the region of Caesarea, caesarea philippi he said asked his disciples who do men say that i am and so they said to him some say john the baptist others say elijah Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said, no, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father who is in heaven, he has revealed it to you. It's God's own testimony. It's through the operation of his Holy Spirit. He confirms who He is. God Himself gives validity to the truth of the Trinity. The three persons in one essence. And yet we recognize that the Father and the Son are distinct in their very personal properties. Even as Jesus says in John 5, verse 26, For the Father, He has life in Himself, and so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself. He exists of Himself. And the Son, He is eternally begotten of the Father. As we find in John 1, verse 18, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. And the Holy Spirit is is the one who proceeds from the Father and the Son. We find not only in John 14, which we quoted already, but John 15, when the Helper comes, I will send to you from the Father the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify of me. They are distinct, and yet one. we recognize truly this is challenging to our minds and today we simply need to humbly believe it trust how god reveals himself to us in scripture and look forward to a day where we can understand this mystery of god and the trinity more fully And that's why I don't even really want to go down other roads of trying to practically understand the Trinity. And some people use many illustrations, but let's just simply receive it and believe it. And to stand in awe of who God is because of it. We don't have to explain everything. John Wesley once wrote, Bring me a worm, that can comprehend a man. And I will show you a man who can comprehend the triune God. It's okay to be able to trust in God and to receive practically what we can't explain theoretically. And thank Him for who He is, the Blessed Trinity, and how that gives us great assured confidence In our triune God. That's what we want to look at secondly. Is confessing the triune God by faith, we do so with an assured confidence in our triune God. Remember, uh, again, the quote that I set before you from Ralph Davies. Jacob wrestled with God all night, saying as he clung to God, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And God, at the end of a service, says to his people, I will not let you go until I bless you as a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And isn't that what God is doing in, in two senses, especially in the New Testament? In baptism, he's saying to us and to our children, he will not let us go. He's placing his name on us. He's separating himself to a, separating us to himself as he places his name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit upon us. We're baptized into His name. And He leaves us go at the end of a service in His name. He greets us many times in, in worship in His name, His triune name, giving us assured confidence of who our God is. Well, How does this oneness of God and yet threeness of God give us an assured confidence? First of all, the oneness of God gives us a great assurance and and confidence toward God because ultimately we wouldn't want more than one god would we could you imagine trying to keep two gods happy to give service and worship to two gods It'd be impossible we know that there is one god one god whom the church of the lord jesus christ worships one god who is revealed to us in scriptures Who is confirmed to us in the scriptures? One God who is all powerful. We don't have many gods vying for power and authority. We have one God who reigns over all things, who governs all things by his power. We have one God who is all powerful, who is all knowing, who is everywhere present, who is infinite in all of his attributes. Could you imagine if there was more than one God who was infinite in space? In other words, immense. It would be impossible. There wouldn't be room for more than one God. In the very definition of who our God is and how he reveals himself in Scripture. One God. And yet three in person. This one God has one will and that will governs every, each of the three persons of the Trinity. In all of their work, in each of their personal work, they're governed by the one will of God. Now, each person's work in the Trinity is not necessarily exclusive to one another. But there is a primary work to each of the divine persons of the Trinity. It gives us great encouragement in way of salvation. I remember learning this when I was a child. We can remember it by three words that rhyme. Thought, bought, and wrought. In other words... The Father who thought salvation and has elected his people, and the Son who bought his people through his finished work on the cross, and the Holy Spirit who wrought that salvation in our hearts and lives by working it in our hearts and lives, applying the work of Christ to us. Those are the primary works of each of the divine. Persons of the Trinity. And what a comfort it is to know that as our catechism breaks it up, that God the Father is our creator. He's our sustainer. He's our provider. And He will give us everything that is needful in this life and even the life to come. As we'll find in Lord's Day 9 and 10, that nothing happens by chance, but it all comes from His fatherly hand. He cares for us and He's He's going to save every one of His people and not one of them will be taken from His hand. It's also a comfort to know that God the Son is our Redeemer that His atoning work on the cross. For sinners like you and I has been received by the Father and He gives eternal life to all who put their trust in Him. What a great comfort to know that the Holy Spirit is our sanctifier as as He takes all of the benefits of Christ and applies them to me personally and sanctifies me so that I learn more and more to put sin to death and to live according to the will of God, and to walk according to the Spirit. Isn't that really what Paul's going through in Romans 7 and 8? Is really the experience of, of the triune God? As the Holy Spirit is convicting him of sin in, in Romans chapter 7? And he has to cry out, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And yet, he's also directing him to the Lord Jesus Christ so that he can say, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. To those who are walking not after the flesh, But after the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, that Spirit who works in us, that new life and gives us the grace to to fight against sin and to live according to the Word of God. To those who are led by the Spirit of God, these, he says, are the sons of God who cry out, Abba. Father. What a great comfort for Paul and for us, as we've been able to hear from our brother Pennings and ways of understanding Romans chapter eight, and knowing that indeed all things do work together for good, for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Because indeed, we are secure in God because of the triune God and all of His work, the Father's work, the Spirit's work, the Son's work, and nothing will ever separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our hope is in the triune God. And the very experience of the work of the triune God assures us and grants us true confidence. Maybe a way to illustrate this is just to think about the, the great need each one of us has for the peace of God, a peace that passes all understanding, a peace to know that we are right with God and that God is with us. Notice in Scripture that the Father is called the God of peace in Hebrews 13, verse 20. And that God the Son is called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9, verse 6. And the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Peace in Ephesians 4, verse 3. And the reality is, not a one of us by nature has peace with God. We are all at enmity with God. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He shows us. And reveals us, to us, that we are sinners. Convicting us of sin. Showing us the very cause of that enmity between us and God. And as he does so, he shows us who God is. A God who delights in mercy. A God who is ready and willing to forgive all who come to him in faith and repentance. He points us to the way of escape. He points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though sometimes we go back to our own works and all of our own old ways and we try to earn our salvation, He shows us again and again how empty it is and how fruitless it is that we are nothing but poor, needy sinners who need a whole Christ, a full Christ. Christ to save us from our sin. And a Christ who gives us his Holy Spirit to live at peace with God. So that we can say, no longer is there enmity in the Father's house, but there's peace. Peace in my Father's house. As we with confidence say, Abba, Father. To experience such peace, we need the triune God. Could we have peace with God without the work of the Son? Could we have peace with God without the work of the Holy Spirit? Could we have peace with God who wasn't a tender, caring, loving, forgiving father who gave his own son? to purchase that peace. We can then experience the love of God. Could we experience the love of a God who was not three in person? C.S. Lewis writes, all sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love, but they seem not to notice the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. And John is saying, God is light. God is love. And he's been light and love from eternity. And so therefore, if God was a singular person, then how could he be a God of love before the worlds were made? And isn't that exactly what we experience in salvation? That God indeed is love. That the Father has so loved His Son, and even from eternity past, His Son has loved His people. I can't comprehend that either. There in eternity past, He already has given His people to His Son because of His Son's love for His people and, his, and the Father's love for His Son and the Father's love for His people and the Son's love for His Father and the Holy Spirit's love for all. He says, I will affect this work in, my, in, in your people's lives. A full loving relationship within the triune God And His people. And see, when the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, and the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ is is becoming evident, as we're brought back to the Father through the work of the Holy Spirit and by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we can know the love of God and be reconciled with a Father who loves His children with Absolutely no bounds. He has so loved his children that he's given his only begotten Son to death, to suffering. Well, to experience such love ought to motivate us, as Paul says here in Second Corinthians Finally, brethren, farewell. Be complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Because our God is a God of love. And He gives them the Trinitarian blessing. This shouldn't be anything new for us by now. Most of us have Lord's Day One memorized. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Can you repeat it? That in body and soul, and life and in death, I'm not my own, but I belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm not asking you if you have it memorized in your mind. Do you know with assured confidence this triune God? And are you in the Lord Jesus Christ? who with his precious blood hath fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, all things must be subservient to my salvation and therefore by his Holy Spirit he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing, ready henceforth to live unto him that's a Trinitarian comfort, a confidence, an assurance. And as we go through what we confess and what we call the Apostles' Creed, our undoubted Catholic Christian faith, it's broken up into three parts. And each one of them grants unto us benefits and assurances. Notice with me, if you look at Lord's Day 9 through 23, as we What we're going to do is be expounding on the Apostles' Creed, this Trinitarian breakdown of our faith and how it applies to us. Question 28. What's the question? What advantage is it to us to know that God has created and by His providence upholds all things? What is the advantage so that we may be patient in adversity? Thankful and prosperity and so on. Each one of these questions at the end of most of the sections, most of the points of our faith, such as 36. What profit do you receive by Christ's holy conception? That he is our mediator, personal mediator. There's a great comfort, there's a great blessing, there's great profit in these truths, for a Christian, 30, 43. What for their benefit, do we receive from the sacrifice and death of Christ on the cross? We might put sin to death, to be buried with him, and that sin would no longer reign in us, and so on. What does the resurrection of Christ profit us? Question 45. Question 49, what advantage to us is Christ's ascension into heaven? Question 51, what profit is this glory of Christ our head, the session of Christ to us? Question 52, what comfort is it to you that Christ shall come to judge the living and the dead? Question 57, what comfort does the resurrection of the body afford you? 58, what comfort do you take from the article, The Life Everlasting? And finally, question 59, which wraps them all up. What does it profit you now that you believe all these things? And the answer is this, that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. And that, dear congregation, is impossible without the truth, without confessing the truth of the triune God. And so Samuel Rutherford, and I close with these words, spoke this regarding the Trinity. I know not which one of the three I need the most, but this I know, I need them all, and I love each one of them. Is that your confession this afternoon? As you confess the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Our great and our glorious God, we give you thanks that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. that You have revealed Yourself to us as the Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we worship You as a Triune God. We confess You as our Triune God. For, Lord, we recognize that is our only comfort in life and in death. And we hear again And we'll hear again, even at the end of this very worship service, that you will never let us go until you bless us in your triune name. And so, Lord, extend your triune blessing upon us as we leave this place. And fill us with your grace and fill us with love and awe and adoration of who you are. And may we live it day by day in our life. Hear our prayer and go with us. For Jesus' sake, amen.